My name is Peter Beinart. I'm a non-resident fellow at the Foundation for Middle East Peace, and I'm really glad to be joined for this edition of the podcast Occupied Thoughts with uh, Salam Barame, who is the executive director of the Palestine Institute for Public Diplomacy and a creator behind the new Palestinian VR app, uh, which allows people around the world to see inside the occupied territories. Uh, Salam, thanks so much for being on with me. Thank you for having me, Peter. So first, just tell, tell us a little bit about, about the app, how it came to be, and what, what your goal was in creating it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we, were, we were quite disappointed uh, and frustrated when uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and Han Omar were denied entry into Palestine by Israel. And so we were, or I was uh, part of a youth group that was supposed to meet with them, and and we we felt the injustice, and I and we wanted to kind of uh, bring the tour and uh, the people they were supposed to meet with to them. Um, and I think, as you so passionately uh, pointed out uh, during a CNN interview, um, when you come to to Palestine, when you see the reality on the ground, uh, you're you you don't leave uh, the same way you came. You're usually quite moved and inspired. Uh, and so we wanted to show that reality not only to the members of Congress, but also to the rest of the world. So we worked on developing this app that uh, showed them different parts of the country, and they would hear from different people who are uh, all fighting injustice and oppression and uh, give a chance to experience that reality for themselves. Um, and so what is the app actually, what do you actually see when you go on the app? So you can go to different parts of Palestine. You can go to Jerusalem, uh, Khan al-Ahmar in the Jordan Valley. You can see a refugee camp in Bethlehem. You can go to Gaza uh, and see life in Gaza. And it's essentially an immersive 360 virtual reality tour of all those places. And you get shown around by the people from there who mm -hmm. get to live the everyday reality. They see the challenges. Uh, but also you get to, to hear the story of, of resilience, I think. One thing, the app, is it's a platform to, to present, I think, a humanized version of Palestinians that is not usually available all around the world. I think for so long in, in the West, especially in America, Palestinians and our struggle for freedom and rights has been dehumanized. And this is one way to get that message across and to show the people uh, and, and what they're struggling for uh, straight from them. And Salam, just tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about about yourself. Where did you grow up? Um, uh, where's your family? How did you get involved in this work? Yeah, so I, I I was born in Jerusalem. I grew up between Jericho and Jerusalem, and uh, I I was part of the Oslo generation. So the generation of Palestinians that experienced the tail end of the first Intifada and the second Intifada, and we saw the wall uh, being built and constructed. And we saw all the wars in Gaza. And so we were the generation that was kind of promised a state, but never got one. And um, I think for us, we, we you know, a part of a lot of the, the, you know, a lot of people from that generation have deep frustration. Um, and so a lot of us have, are politically active and, and, and want to try to challenge um, different systems of oppression and injustice. And for me, one thing uh, that I wanted to do after living abroad in the U.S. and in Europe was to challenge the perceptions and the stereotypes uh, people around the world had of Palestinians 
and uh, and what we wanted and we wanted to show that essentially we were uh, people like any other people who want to just their basic freedom and their basic rights and, and to live a normal life and so that's why for me it was about how can we engage um, these people with human stories stories that show that uh, you know as Palestinians we we just want to find a job or we want to be able to move from city to city or travel abroad without you know a uh, fear of 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 uh, being stopped by an Israeli soldier or having access to water or, you know, all the basic uh, necessities of life that a lot of people take for granted, sometimes we don't have access to as Palestinians. So we wanted to tell those stories and share kind of the injustices we face. Um, so the, the world is fully aware that in two, 2019, there's still a place in this world uh, where, where these injustices are ongoing. You talked about being the, you know, from the Oslo generation, and um, I, th that was a period where, you know, a series of historic decisions were made by the PLO to accept the idea of two states, and um, and there was a process. Obviously, things ended uh, very badly, and um, and I, I wonder if you can talk a little about the kind of the state of political discourse among Palestinians today about. Um, you know where, how strong the voices are that claim that 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 the creation of an independent Palestinian state in the West Bank, Gaza, and East Jerusalem should still be the goal, and how much that's been superseded by people who have alternative visions, and, and the, the the kind of current state of that discourse. Yeah, absolutely. I think for for Palestinians, we're quite a young society. The majority of our society is under under thirty, and a big portion of that is under twenty five. And so that's also part of the same generation. Um, and for us, we deal with kind of a hierarchy of, 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 of frustration, frustration and, and oppression, right? On, on, at the top, we have uh, Israeli occupation, um, discrimination, displacement. Um, and then we have kind of the, the, the democratic deficit within our own institutions and, and leadership. And then we also have quite high unemployment rates and and we face quite a, a tough economy and so we we look at we look back at at uh, the beginning of the oslo era and and what it was supposed to promise and where we are now is is quite far removed right i think if you look at a map and i think there was a a state department map that was uh, issued under the obama administration that right. shows kind of the areas that palestinians control versus the areas under israeli control uh, the, you know, this includes uh, the entire land from the river to the sea, and you, sh you see that we, what Palestinians have been relegated to, uh, essentially, are islands of population centers in a f in a sea of Israeli control, and that's that's you know extremely <laughs> extremely far removed from the state that uh, we were supposed to have uh, based on the 1967 borders, the West Bank. Uh, Gaza and East Jerusalem. You know, there's now, as 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 a as a as a, as a child, I used to commute from Jericho to uh, to Jerusalem every day to go to school. And you know, we would watch Maale Odumim, which is now I think the third largest Israeli settlement in the West Bank, grow every day. And I think a lot of us realize that for any possibility of a Palestinian state, 
you know, there would be, there would need to be um, a huge transfer of Israeli settlers back into over the Green Line, back into Israel. And I just don't see that happening uh, today, because if you look at Israeli society, it's trending rightwards. Um, it has been for a very long time. And at the heart of Israeli politics and Israeli government are settler-driven parties with extremely right-wing agendas. So to to think that these parties or these coalition governments might be willing to to do that is is, is seems a bit far-fetched. Um, you know, I was looking at polling, and I think somewhere between uh, 50 to 60 percent of Jewish Israelis identify as right-wing. And when you see a lot of these parties competing for, for votes in Israeli elections, they usually use extremely racist and dehumanizing language against Palestinians, and they often brag about who's treated us worse. And so in, in that context, I don't see, um, you know, how the, uh, the idea of a two-state under the Oslo paradigm might be possible anymore. Uh, kind of the constellation uh, doesn't add up. And, and for, for, for young Palestinians, for Palestinians um, who grew up there, I think for us, uh, similar to any young person around the world, you know, we, millennials are, are usually the butt of many jokes, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a, there, was a, there was a reaction to the status quo and the establishment and, and, and business as usual across the world uh, with, with a lot of young people who felt marginalized by the establishment. And similarly, we, we do too, right? We, we're reacting against what, uh, what, what the, or the establishment that, w- that came through the Oslo paradigm, which is more entrenched Israeli control. Um, you know, the PA that is a service delivery mechanism it's to a very tiny part of the West Bank and, and not living a better life than where we were when we started this political project. So, you know, but at the same time, I think a lot of Palestinians are, are solution agnostic in many ways. You know, they don't have a strong uh, pull towards a two-state solution or a one-state solution. I think you speak to many Palestinians in Palestine and their answer is, well, I just want to be free and I want my rights. And that's a very powerful message to send to the world. How we got here, I think, is, is a question we should definitely ask ourselves. I think how 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 did we get to a point where, you know, settlement construction and kind of uh, the eating up of a potential Palestinian state um, happened? And I think one main conclusion a lot of this come back to is uh, the lack of accountability, the lack of 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 you know of of putting pressure on Israel to change its behavior. Um, and for for the longest time, we've we've heard strong. Uh, statements of condemnation coming from 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 Europe, sometimes the U.S. Now, not so much uh, with the Trump administration, but those were those were words that were 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 hollow. And until that equation changes, I don't see much much changing. Hmm. Um, you 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 talked about a, a group of people who are, as you call them, solution agnostic. People talk saying you know, mm. people who talk about wanting to be free and wanting our rights, but not necessarily having um, uh, a clear preference uh, or about about the pr- particular kind of political formation that exists. Um, but mm. I wonder, given that you're talking about a post two state solution environment as you as you see it, um, 
What is the discourse uh, that you hear are a part of among younger Palestinians or Palestinians in general about what a one-state solution, not the one-state reality that exists today, but but a one-state solution that that in which Palestinians were free and had rights, what what it might look like? I think that's the million-dollar question. I think think nobody has an exact answer, right? Because we don't, as Palestinians, we don't live in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. We live... You know, uh, we live under currently under oppression, uh, Israeli oppression, and uh, for us, is how do you dismantle these systems of oppression mm-hmm. so that everybody living between uh, the river and the sea, no matter who you are, where you're from, what ethnicity or religion you're a part of, you can have the same uh, freedom and rights, and so that requires a, a, a conversation. But I think a lot of us. Who are or who are kind of looking towards the future understand that whatever entity, whatever political configuration that that is and what it looks like, it needs to be based in in certain values, right? The value, the values of freedom, the values of justice, the values of equality and and rights for all. And you know, I, I think there are a lot of Palestinians and also Jewish Israelis and Jews all around the world that believe in these values and 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 also understand that it's incumbent on them and on us altogether to to co-resist against these systems of oppression. If you also look at kind of the state of affairs today, right, you have 13 million people living between uh, the river and the sea, and these 13 million um, are operating under two, two different legal regimes. I think you have one people that is operating under one legal regime that maintains its dominance and its supremacy, while another has four different legal, essentially, regimes that govern it. You have the Palestinian citizens of Israel um, who are, are unequal uh, and are discriminated against by many laws. You have the Palestinian residents of Jerusalem who have, you know, can have their residency revoked at any time. You have the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza who are under military law. And by the way, I live in Ramallah, and, and the hill across from, from, from me, there's one settlement, and then the one next to it, there's another settlement. I mean, I can see them from my, my window. And I'm, under this current system, I'm tried under military law, and there's a 99% conviction rate, while the settler living next door, you know, is, is under the legal jurisdiction of, uh, law, civilian laws that are made in the Knesset that extend to occupied territory under international law. And then you obviously have the people who can return or come, right? I think, you know, the law allows any Jewish person to come back to Israel, while there, there are specific Palestinians, Palestinian refugees, that cannot come to, to, to visit even the West Bank. So I think there's a, there's a very entrenched uh, system of laws that maintain the suppression. And I think what we're talking about now is how do you challenge these, this system of oppression? How do you dismantle it so you can build, uh, you know, a, a reality on the ground where everybody is free and equal, right, regardless of whether you're, you're Palestinian, you're Jewish, or, or whatever? And how, what that looks like, uh, is that a one state necessarily? Is that a different political configuration? I don't have the answer, but I know that a lot of people who ha- are having this conversation all agree on, on, on these set of values. One thing that's that's confused me a little bit as someone who's you know interested in understanding Palestinian politics but doesn't have an intimate mm. understanding of it is that 
I when I look at the at the at the Palestinian activist and intellectual world that I particularly that I see here in the United States, I I, I don't really see anybody who appears to have much legitimacy who. Who, who supports a two-state solution, not only on mm-hmm. practical grounds, but often also just on 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 moral and theoretical grounds, even. Um, um, and and yet, the polling that I've seen, you know, from people like Khalil Shakaki suggests that when you ask Palestinians, I guess he's he's asking in the West Bank, I suppose, in particular, maybe in East Jerusalem, and you know, the, the polling appears to suggest that even though support for two states has is gone down, it still has more support than any other alternative. And, you know, polling is a crude tool and can't capture a lot of ambiguities and what people really mean by things. But I wonder if you could just help maybe just walk through that, what appears to me a kind of an apparent discrepancy. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would think about it in this terms, right? Um, you can... Uh, I, I, want, I want to pivot for one second and then I'll come back and yeah. answer your, your question. Um, so you look at what Palestinians have come out to protest against in the last couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. You had uh, the the kind of um, two two main ones. Mm-hmm. One was the social security law that was uh, being promoted by the PA that would have affected people quite drastically, and I don't. And I think people came out to protest protest against that, not because they don't believe in the in the idea of social security, but because they didn't have faith in the government that would be collecting it. Mm. Um, so you had mass protests coming out all over the West Bank against that. The other, the other one was um, uh, the, there was a case of, uh, of murder uh, against a young woman called Isra Ghreb, uh, where Palestinians came out to the street to, to reform uh, against, against, well, against the, the murder, but also asking for reform of, 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 of antiquated uh, quite patriarchal laws, and there has been some movement on that issue. Um, so those those two issues are one is economic, the other one is social. I can't remember a time where there's been mass political protests um, in in favor of something, even when there's something as drastic as the Trump administration moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to the U.S. Uh, to, to Jerusalem. Sorry, and and that's indicative, I think, to to the state of mind of a lot of people in Palestine. I think, one, don't, they don't really buy into the political vision of the Oslo paradigm anymore. But at the same time, there hasn't been the space uh, in public discourse for a conversation on an alternative uh, vision for the future, regardless of what that may be, right? The, the, the dominant discourse still remains within the West Bank, at least, is the two-state solution, and is, it's the platform of, of the governing party. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people uh, have have under, have completely grappled with the idea of what that alternative future is, and that ties into, I think, to, to in a sense, the political apathy that currently exists amongst a lot of young people, because they haven't been presented with that vision. There hasn't been conversations on what that might look like and how we might get, get there. And I think that's also a product of of the lack of a, a, a wholesome Palestinian national movement that's inclusive and that's representative and that's democratic, right? We currently don't have a political system. We have a, a governing entity in Gaza and a governing entity in, 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 in the West Bank that are dominated by two different parties. But th- what used to be the political system uh, under the PLO, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to romanticize the PLO in, in, in any way, but 
it was the space where Palestinians could come together, at least have a conversation. And that no longer exists. And so without, a politi- without that political system that allows Palestinians, not only in the West Bank and Gaza and in Jerusalem to participate, but others all around the world to have a say in where we're heading, there isn't that room for that discussion. And I, I don't see that flourishing anytime soon until we're able to address that. Um, and, and that's kind of my take on, on in, in terms of the polling. I think the, the two-state is dominant because the two-state is the only idea that's quite out there for public consumption. What about um, the the durability of the Palestinian Authority? How um, how mm. stable you think it is? I mean, there have been many people who've kind of made the point that um, the Palestinian Authority makes the occupation much easier for Israel, um, kind of creates a kind of an indirect rule, which is less costly than a more direct mm. rule would be, um, and that and that you know um, that this is part of the reason that Israel can maintain the occupation relatively easily. And I I'm sure you know if many Palestinians on the ground recognize that too um, and yet there doesn't seem to have been uh, even in the way through the Arab Spring a kind of a mass movement at least that I was aware of to to overthrow the Palestinian Authority so I don't know if you can talk about its durability and its legitimacy well I think in terms of durability I think the, the, it, it I mean again the Palestinian Authority was set up for a mandate of five years to transition um, to the transition into a Palestinian state, and that never happened. So it exceeded its ma- mandate by quite a number of years. Um, at the moment, if you also look at the map, the Palestinian Authority governs fully governs 18% of the West Bank, which is essentially Area A. And even then, you know, you have Israeli uh, nightly uh, raids into those areas, Palestinian cities arresting people. And so even then, that is in total control, right? We still buy our water from Israel. We still need access uh, you know, to electric- electricity through Israel. So even that, it, it's not total. But, but yes, I think there's a lot of vested interests, whether it's Israeli interests, whether it's other interests from around the world, to make sure, maintain a semblance of stability within the West Bank. So there isn't uh, any, any uh, mass uprising or movement that can challenge the Oslo paradigm. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are invested in keeping things as they are. Uh, so I think that, you know, I don't think the, the Palestinian Authority uh, will, will crumble anytime soon, although it's, it's, it's fragile in many ways, right? Because it's, 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 it's dependent on foreign aid. It's, um, you know, it's had severe economic crises. Um, and I think it will continue to do so um, because, because it is, in essence, a service delivery mechanism that reduces the cost of the Israeli occupation for Israel. Um, and, and uh, you know, Israel has a vested interest uh, in, in it because it also helps maintain security and stability. And I think, uh, you know, you, the U.S. and Europeans and, and the rest probably of the region are quite want to see that remain. Um, in terms of legitimacy, I mean... You know, again, the political, the, the representative of the Palestinian people, of all the Palestinian people, is not the PA, it's the PLO. Right. But the PLO has been hollowed out, essentially, uh, and uh, the, the vestiges of power have been invested into, into the PA. Um, and, and it hasn't had elections in, in quite a number of years as well. So, 
again, it's only it only governs eighteen percent of of the West Bank. Uh, it has it doesn't extend uh, into Jerusalem. It, it it obviously there's the division between Hamas and Fatah, and and therefore there's there's nothing uh, you know Gaza is is quite on its own and and separate. And and then you have the seven million Palestinians all around the world. Uh, that are also lacking a, a legitimate political representative. So I think in the case of Palestinian representation, we're not we're not doing so well. But you sound like you think that it's quite plausible, even likely that um, that after Mahmoud Abbas is 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 gone, that some new figure will a kind of strongman figure would be able to be emerge. Um, from Palestinian politics, with from Israeli interests, to basically maintain the the status quo with the Palestinian Authority. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think uh, pe- people people are are interested in, in seeing the status quo continue. Um, you know, it it's effectively uh, succeeded uh, for the last thirty years in in. Uh, managing the conflict and uh, allowing for the Israeli right-wing agenda to pursue its course um, without much without much cost uh, for them. Why why would they change? Why would they want to see that change? Right? Um, and even even if it's uh, you know uh, a, a a set setup or an architecture that is. You know, not not democratic or or not uh, progressive or not investing in certain values or principles. That doesn't matter. Um, so so yeah, I I, I see that arrangement uh, for stability and security continuing. Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of the interesting dynamics in Palestinian politics, although uh, you know, in the United States. What happens among Palestinian citizens of Israel is often somehow weirdly segmented off from Palestinian politics. And I think the word Arab-Israeli often has Americans believe that somehow this is some different kind of national grouping. But um, there's been, you know, um, the moves that Ayman Oda and the joint, joint list have made recently, uh, first their success in the most recent elections, and then uh, their decision, at least the decision of, of, of many of the parties in the joint list, if not all of them, to to endorse Benny Gantz for prime minister, um, did mm-hmm. has gotten some attention. And I wonder... What you think that says about 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 the state of Palestinian politics? Does that reverberate to, to for Palestinians who are not inside uh, Israel proper, and 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 how you analyze its significance? I think this is a symptom of a much much deeper disease within Palestinian politics, which is fragmentation. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I think each Palestinian community. Um, whether it's you know the Palestinian citizens of Israel, or the Palestinians of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, Gaza, Palestinian refugees, uh, their their struggles have been localized, and they are not tied into a broader national movement and a national struggle. And so, for and and this is a problem that has been years, if not decades, in the making. Right As, for the for the poli- within politics of the Palestinian citizens of Israel, there is no. Tying, you know, their, their the, the inequality they face, the discrimination they face, the oppression that they face, as part of that struggle, and the, and therefore a lot of Palestinian communities are now or, or, are focusing on on what they're daily, what they're facing on a daily basis, 
And so a product of that, obviously, has been now how, how does uh, Ayman Audi or the other leaders of, of uh, Palestinian uh, citizens of Israel is to ensure you know, the survival uh, of, of that community and how to challenge discrimination uh, and, and, and the issues that they're facing within, within that society, within that struggle. And, and uh, in, in, in terms of political expediency uh, and, and strategy, I, am, I fully understand uh, why Ayman Aude did what he did. But I, I, I still disagree with it, in a sense, I think more from a principled moral standpoint. And I think if Palestinian politics wasn't in a, in a position where it is now, where we weren't dealing with this fragmentation, Ayman Aude wouldn't have to have made that decision in the first place. For me, I think to address the underlying issue, the underlying disease, is, is how do we then develop a political system that is inclusive of all Palestinians, that's representative and that's democratic, so everyone's voice is heard throughout the localized struggle, but they're then tied to a, a larger national struggle that's bigger than all of us. And so just to, just to probe a little bit more deeply about your critique, is the, is the critique that Ayman Oda was doing something that maybe benefits Palestinian citizens of Israel, at least in the sense that if you get rid of Netanyahu, there's less uh, demonization and maybe Palestinians have a better, slightly, citizens have a slightly better treatment from this new government. But in choosing a, a leader who has shown no interest in ending the occupation, he's essentially going along with a, a kind of status quo that is leaving Palestinians without rights in the occupied territories. It just I wanted to understand a little bit better the, the principled critique. Yeah, I, yeah, I think if you I mean, if you look at the, the rhetoric coming out of the Israeli election, right, right I, I come from Jericho, right. uh, the Jordan Valley, and that was what uh, Bibi was claiming uh, to, <laughs> to want to annex if he won yes. the election. Mm-hmm. Um, you speak to anyone in Jericho about, uh, you know, the, the, the talk of annexation, and they'd look around and say, well, I thought we were already <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's... The, the land all around us is not accessible to us. You know, our own water is being diverted to settlements that are green and lush, while the farmland around Jericho is quite brown and barren. And so, you know, we're not allowed to dig wells. We, you know, we, we have little rights in that land already, if, if none at all. And, and so when that was announced, I think Benny Gantz was, was not denouncing that, but I think embracing the idea of, of potential annexation mm-hmm. um, from there and. And so for, for us, you know, uh, there's, no, there's no much difference between uh, Benny Gantz or Bibi Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something, the, the, the settlements around Jericho that were built were not built by Likud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they were built by labor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. many, many years ago. And for us, it, it's, it's a, the, the Israeli political system mm-hmm. and, and the regime has been responsible mm-hmm. for... Uh, you know, the, the oppression we face, the injustice we, f- we face on a daily basis, it's not down to one leader. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and for us, there is no difference, you know, and, and, and I think that's why we, we are critical of, of, of that decision. Now, do I understand what that might potentially mean to, to the Palestinian citizens of Israel who might... Uh, not face the same amount amount of de- demonization, dehumanization uh, within Israel because of Benny Gantz instead of instead of Bibi Netanyahu. Yes, potentially, but I still don't don't think we should have gotten to that place 
uh, in the first place because again it, it's it's a product of the fragmentation of Palestinian politics and Palestinian society uh, and and we shouldn't have let it get there uh, and and it's about reforming that polit- political system so you know regardless of what we're struggling for locally there's something bigger we're all struggling for collectively I think if if I were to ask my suspicion is if I were to ask uh, Palestinians I know in the diaspora in the United States who are involved in in the political struggle and the Palestinian struggle I would ask them what gives them hope I suspect a lot of them would say what gives them hope is the BDS movement um, mm-hmm. And um, that I, again, as, as not as an insider, but just someone as an observer, it strikes me that this is a looms very large for, especially for younger um, a- Palestinian activists in the United States. Um, and I'm just wondering how significant that movement is for people who are actually on the ground. Um, whether it has the same significance, whether it looks different, or, or you know, how how people think about it. Sure, I think BDS is. Um, much more of a form of struggle for Palestinians around the world uh, because they've been marginalized from the Palestinian political system, you know, with, with the onset of Oslo. And there there's 7 million Palestinians all over the world. And BDS gives them a lot of uh, uh, um, an avenue for political engagement with with their homeland and their struggle in a way that wasn't available to them uh, because of that marginalization. And it's, it's a way to, to introduce a measure of, of personal agency and action into struggling and, and, and also uh, ensuring and introducing a mechanism of accountability that, that we talked about that was missing uh, from the last 30 years. I think for Palestinians in, in, in the West Bank and, and, and East Jerusalem and Gaza, I think, you know, the principles that, they, that BDS holds, whether it's, um, you know, and, and the, the, the three goals of BDS is ending the occupation, ending the inequality and discrimination for the Palestinian citizens of, of, of Israel and, and the right of return. So it's applicable to, 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 the, to the three kind of, big categories of, of Palestinian communities across the world. But for, for Palestinians within Palestine, I think, you know, our economy, uh, not by, by our choice, but by the design of, of Oslo and the occupation that preceded that, is interlinked with, with Israel. You know, we look, you go into our supermarkets, and they're flooded with Israeli products. Um, and and the idea is always try to buy Palestinian, not Israeli. But at the same time, you know, it, it's it's not for us as as much of a tool of resistance uh, than as it is for for Palestinians around the world. Because you're saying it's just not it's often not practical to actually do it, given how economically intertwined Palestinians are with Israel. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I think still, you know, the the principles hold, and I think. There's a big, there's a big conversation, and you're very well aware of it, of, of BDS around the world. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's a tool of protest and, uh, and 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 resistance to political injustice, right? And it's it should be a right for every person who lives in a democracy, or or hopefully otherwise, to be able to express their political views by potentially. Uh, boycotting uh, uh, a product or, or 
engaging in boycotting of a state that is that is violating international law and human rights and so you know the it 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 is it is the right but it's also a very uh, loud and 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 um and and potent way to to send a very strong political message uh the the last question i want to ask is you know um one of the things if you are like like myself you're you're jewish and you kind of live in a and come out of a Jewish uh, kind of community and world, and then you start to experience uh, interactions with Palestinians, is it it creates a kind of cognitive dissonance. Um, because so mm. often the Palestinians don't actually, uh, they don't exemplify the, the stereotypes or the characteristics that you have been told always that they will. Um, and so... You know, when I heard you say, you know, essentially, you know, we need to live together um, is equals, you know, which is something I've heard from the vast majority of Palestinians I've ever really talked to about this. What I what is challenging is that I if if when I go back into the Jewish world often and report a conversation like that, I'm literally laughed at. You know, it's as if, like, I must be the biggest sucker in the world to believe that that's what Palestinians actually think, um, which is a frustrating experience. And, and, and But the reason I, I ask is not to, to dwell on my own experience, but just to ask, I think part of the reason, to be honest, if I think about it, that so many Jews, and I'm thinking particularly among American, but also Israeli Jews, find that so difficult to believe that, that there are a lot of Palestinians who basically believe in a shared, equal society— is obviously because there's a lot of racism and dehumanization, but perhaps also because they could understand. I mean, you think about the writings of someone like Jabotinsky, right? There were Zionists who understood that Palestinians would have good reasons not to have wanted Jews to come, the Zionist migration, to come in the first place, right? So they may think mm. it would be a very natural desire, human desire, for Palestinians to, to not want all of these Jews around. Um, and I think that's part of why... It's so easy to convince uh, diaspora and Israeli Jews that, in fact, any vision of one equal state is a is a is is a, is a, is, a, is, absur- is an absurdity because Palestinians, once they have the power at their disposal, would would do everything they could to basically try to make sure that Jews weren't around anymore. Um, and and I just wanted to throw that out there and to talk to ask you to talk if, reflect a little bit about the discourse among Palestinians about what the role about what the long term role of Jews would be in 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 a in a in a, in a, in a more just uh, environment you know between the river and the sea. Yeah, I, I think you know, listening to you speak, my the, the the term that that popped into my mind was the progressive, except for Palestine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is a term uh, that you know I think is changing somewhat within the Jewish community, at least mm-hmm. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a lot of young uh, Jewish voices c- coming out and speaking against occupation and Israeli government policy, mm-hmm. and that that's great to see. And I, the the, the message I usually try to convey is. Listen, um, we as Palestinians, if you look at our national struggle our, uh, and what we aspire to have, is is freedom, is is equality, is justice, and it, and its rights, and those should be at the core and the heart of progressive values wherever you are, right? And it shouldn't, you know, it doesn't matter who who you are and where you're from. It's a matter. It's a matter. It's about the politics you have and the and the beliefs that you have and the values you subscribe to. 
And, and I usually say it's not just about coexistence, it's about co-resistance, co because it's my duty and your duty together to, to challenge all forms of oppression and injustice, regardless of whether they're occupation, whether they're patriarchy, whether they're, uh, you know, anti-immigration, whether they're uh, racist, whatever, whatever it is, you know, we're in this together. And I think political tribes are really shifting around the world. And because you have the forces like Trump, Orban, um, Nigel Farage, Marie Le Pen uh, in the world, and, and we need to have a counterbalance that is able to stand together and, and take on those uh, forces, right? And I think it comes back to kind of what we discussed in terms of Palestinian society and where a lot of Palestinians are, especially young Palestinians who make up majority of the society. There isn't so much uh, romanticization of a, a, a Palestinian uh, state under a two-state solution or necessarily under just a grander one-state solution. I think what Palestinians and people in Palestine are craving is to be free and is, is to be equal and to be able to pursue a normal life like anyone else in the world, right? I think that's, that's, that's what it's about. Uh, and, you know, for so long, we've been dehumanized. And, uh, you know, we, we, there was a very specific picture that was painted about Palestinians, one that is surrounded in violence and uh, one that was surrounded in, in a lot of racist stereotypes. And, and those were not uh, adequately challenged. And, you know, they've, they've reached a place where, you know, it, it, we are now here. And it's, it's, it's about challenging that. I think that's primarily why we also created the app, because we wanted, you know, people from around the world, also, you know, Jewish people from around the world to see and hear from Palestinians and see the reality they live directly from from them, rather it being filtered through the news or 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 anyone else, and I think once that happens and that once that is normalized, I think there will be that shared understanding about the kind of future we want to build together. Uh, Salam, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat to me. Of course, thanks so much, Peter.